Welcome to episode number 74 of the ACC Basketball Report. Today I am joined by James Zuba of Noon's Magician, um, which is a Syracuse-dedicated uh, Twitter page and website for everything Syracuse basketball, football, as well as any other sports. Um, really good guy. I had a really good time with him today. Uh, before we get into the interview, I want to hit on a couple things. I know I've been gone for... About a month, uh, I went on vacation, so I didn't do any work. I've been working on a, a pretty big piece for Bustin' Brackets that's going to come out this week. I hope you guys all check it out and get it out to the public. It's the 25 most polarizing basketball players in college basketball history. It took me about six weeks to do. It took me a long time. I had a big list. Um, there were some guys that didn't make the list in favor of guys that I really wanted to get on the list. When you're talking about polarizing guys, it's... For all different rhymes and reasons, especially when you're trying to navigate through time. You know, it's not since 1990 or 1980. It was from all time. So I had to go back to, to Wilt and Kareem and Bill Walton and, and then kind of work my way back through. Pete Maravich is on there. But then you have other guys on there who are polarizing for a different reason, such as Marshall Henderson of Ole Miss. So it, it was a really interesting list. The thing that I didn't do with this list was I did not rank them. I did not want the ranking to mean more to the story than the actual players that were listed on it. So it's just a list of the 25 most polarizing players for my money in college basketball history. I really hope you guys enjoy it. I will tweet it out at ACCBR1 when it comes out, hopefully this week. Currently it's being edited. Um, you know, a couple things you guys know I want to talk about the Georgia Tech thing so bad. I was actually so angry about what happened with GTEC last week, um, getting hit with sanctions, that I just I told the guys at Bustin Brackets that I wasn't going to write it. Um, it's just I, I couldn't objectively write it, and and maybe that's that shines poorly on me, but it would just turn into an NCAA hate fest, and I kind of I don't see the point in that. I've done that before, and being angry isn't. Uh, it doesn't really do any good, but you know, it's one of the things I talked about today with James was the heavy handedness that the NCAA takes with these, with these mid-level programs, not to say that Syracuse is a mid-level program right now. Georgia tech certainly is as far as the high majors go, but it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you're going to, you're taking these guys out of the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament. You put a three year show cause on Daryl LeBear. You have to disassociate yourself for one year uh, with Jarrett Jack, uh, 2% decrease in your athletic department budget as far as basketball goes, uh, or some other things, uh, loss of scholarships over the next four years. I believe they lose one per year. Uh, they cannot host players, uh, in recruiting for, uh, I can't remember if it's home games or at all or or how, how it actually works, but they, they can't host players. They have decreased amounts of time with players where they can actually contact players. They have postseason sanctions. They have budgetary sanctions. They have all of this stuff for $300 bringing a kid to a strip club as well as a dirtbag guy that that flew out two players that are no longer with the program to his home in Arizona and hung out by his pool for a weekend. That's what it is. It's 300 bucks, some strippers, and a flight to Arizona, and maybe some shoes and apparel. And G-Tech, when, when Passner found out about this, he, he put uh, Coach LeBerry on, um, on leave, administrative leave, as soon as we heard about it. Daryl LeBerry was on administrative leave in November of that year, I believe. So, you know, he suspended Kogi for six games. He suspended Jackson for three games. Um... 
he self-reported the incidents as soon as he heard about it. He has sued this this dirtbag, whose name I will not say, um, who was given a voice by Gary Parrish, um, who is, is seemingly um, just loves to pat himself on the back that he seemingly took down Josh Pastner in Georgia Tech. He just he has no morality issue with giving this guy a voice, which is it's his job. I understand that, but at the same time. I mean, this is, he made this a national story and it blew up for, for not a whole lot of substance. And for that reason, uh, Gary Parrish has taken a few notches down as far as integrity goes in my book. Um, I just, I think it's crazy. And unfortunately right now with the type of restrictions that have been placed on the Georgia Tech program, even if Josh Pastner goes 0-30 this year, uh, there's no way they're going to get rid of him because... They, they can't, one, they can't afford to, and two, the job is so unattractive right now that who are you going to bring in that's better? Absolutely nobody wants this job right now with these recruiting restrictions. With the current way that the program is made up, I, I feel like there's a level of incompetence within, within the Georgia Tech program that just stick with Passner until you're ready to get serious, and then when you're ready to get serious, we'll move on and, and get a coach that, that can recruit and will put people in place that, that want to make this a winning program. Anyway, let me step down from the soapbox. All right. Uh, in good news, since I last spoke with you guys, uh, Georgia Tech was at, uh, able to add the coveted big man to replace James Banks. They landed three-star or four-star, depending on the service you use, uh, forward out of Georgia, Jordan Mika, who is a big-time athlete. He's a little bit on the smaller side. I think he's more of a four than a five, but depending on, on you know, who – if – Passner's there and Reveno is still there. In Reveno, I trust. He's the big man whisperer. He's made guys, you know, if you're malleable, he will teach you how to be an effective big man in the ACC. So, Coach Rev, it's on you. Uh, NC State adds point guard Cam Hayes, who is a four-star point guard of the future. And Kevin Keith just continues to stockpile high-end talent. Um, Hayes and Sebron will take over once, you know, Johnson and Beverly are gone. It's just, uh, NC State is turning into a program that's just kind of restocking each year. Keats just needs to put the product on the floor, I think. I think they will this year. I'm really high in the Wolfpack. Uh, Duke has maybe the most active month of uh, September and October so far. They've added Jamin Brakefield as of yesterday, Henry Coleman the third before that, and DJ Stewart to go with Jeremy Roach and Jalen Johnson. So, you know, there's your next year's starting five, basically, which will be interesting because I don't know if, if Cassius Stanley is is a pro. He's not he's not there yet. That's not saying he won't go. I'm just saying he's not quite there yet. So <clears throat> The, the two stars here are Brakefield, who is a top 10 recruit, and DJ Stewart, who is just a prolific scorer. Um, Roach has um, some suffered some knee injuries in the past, so it'll be interesting to see how he comes free and clear. Um, Duke has been known to take chances on high-end guys, uh, the most recent being Henry Giles uh, a couple years ago, who was drafted after one season but played very, very little in his one season in Durham. But, uh, you know, Duke is reloading, as Duke does, and, you know, Georgia Tech's getting hammered with postseason things for 300 bucks at a strip club. Uh, UNC adds Caleb Love and Walker Kessler. Kessler was a little bit of a surprise. It happened at 11 o'clock one night, and I missed it till about noontime the next day. Really, really didn't expect his his recruitment to, you know, 
happen to, to bust uh, that quickly. But uh, visited Carolina, apparently really enjoyed it and loved it. And then, you know, a couple weeks or a couple days later, Caleb Love joined him. So UNC has Love, Kessler, and Daron Sharp, which are all four, either high fours or five star guys coming in next year. And it seems like the 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 sheen the oily residue from the NCAA investigation quote unquote into um, some academic fraud accusations ha- has basically gone away and you know Roy Williams now has it you know <laughs> ship shape as his his recruiting is amped back up into the one and done game which you know Nasir Little Kobe White those guys are playing in the league right now you know he turned Cam Johnson into a, a lottery pick. And now guys are really starting to roll into town. You might see this UNC train really take off as uh, Coach Williams starts to accrue even more talent than he was before. Um, BC, surprisingly. A couple different surprising things with BC. One, they add four-star shooting guard small forward Damar Langford, which I didn't see coming. I I think Jim Christian is securely on the hot seat right now. He's buckled in. He's uh, he's got his uh, roller coaster straps over his shoulder, and he's securely in that hot seat for the long run. I think the more surprising thing that I saw was that Josh Hall, who is a six-nine small forward out of Moravian or Moravian, sorry, in Durham, is is going to visit Chestnut Hill and has BC in, on one of his final lists. This is a kid who is a top twenty kid. Uh, Christian has been known to have deep. Um, inroads to the state of North Carolina. That's where he pulled Kai Bowman. That's where he pulled uh, Jerome Robinson. He's pulled other guys out of North Carolina, and you know, in in the Mid Atlantic area as well. I think Tabs is actually from Maryland, um, not North Carolina, but Jarris Hamilton, who's currently on the roster, is from North Carolina as well. So Christian knows people, and when it comes to North Carolina, he's never pulled in a fish this big, but if he does. Do you does this save his job? Does a Josh Hall, Demar Langford with Winston Tabs coming back next year? Jay Heath has some potential, I think. Um, is this enough? You know, you have Mackay Ashton Langford sitting out a year for for recruiting. Is this enough to save your job? I I would say yes. Um, you can always blame injuries. To, to tabs for what's going to happen this year, which I saw ranking yesterday at Boston College at ten, and almost puked in my own lap um i mean some people just shouldn't have access to the internet but i think you can wash this off this season out as you know hey my best player was hurt you know he's gonna score 17 to 20 a game what are you gonna do i got these two studs coming in you know and they're not gonna get anybody better than christian i'm a christian apologist i love jim christian i think he he his game plan for his guards and the way he develops his guards is fantastic um, so interesting to keep an eye on Chestnut Hill, if for anything, for some possible recruiting victories coming uh, up in the next couple weeks. Uh, Miami adds four-star Matt Cross, which this happened about the same time the last podcast happened, which I, I don't think I, I said anything. It's just uh, Jim Laranega, you know, under the radar, doing good things on the recruiting trail, <clears throat> bringing in quality guys to that Miami program. Uh, what else? I'm off vacation tomorrow, so we're going to start back up with the countdown for the top 25 recur- uh, returning players in the ACC. I think I left off at number 9 or number 8, so we're going to finish this up over the next week. So, uh, you know, I had been taking weekends off and, and writing for the following week, but I think what I'm going to do is just blow right through it. And I'll either release it on the podcast or both. I'll release it in written word as well as on the podcast. Uh, again, today I had Zuba. 
next week I'm going to have, um, <laughs> forget his name, um, Mike Rutherford of Louisville, uh, SB Nation, uh, the Card Chronicle will join me and we'll talk some Louisville hoops. So really looking forward to that as well. Mike is a guy I really admire, you know, on Twitter as well as, um, on, on his website who, when I write Louisville, he puts it on his website, and we get a ton of hits on Louisville. So that's great. Uh, I had him scheduled before, but uh, it coincided with with the birth of his daughter, which obviously, it, you know, is a big deal in any any man's life. So we had to postpone. But I've been successfully able to uh, to uh, reschedule that, and I'm really looking forward to sitting down with Rutherford. He's a hilarious guy as well as a very knowledgeable guy in Louisville basketball. What else? Uh, top twenty. I'm sorry. Top ten impact transfers for the ACC should be out sometime in the next week or so. So look forward for that. Again, look for busting brackets for my twenty five most polarizing players in college basketball history. And as always, let me know what you guys think on the top twenty five returning players to ACC basketball for this upcoming season. I kept Winston Tabs on the list because I thought he should be recognized, and I didn't want to rewrite the whole damn thing after I had already started the countdown. So, without further ado. Here is my conversation with Syracuse insider James Zuba. In for McNamara. Jim Beheim wanting more sides on the defensive end. Syracuse. Oh, and out. A three can tie it. Kansas has a shot. Miles to the right side. Heinrich to the top of the key. Heinrich with four seconds. Gives it up corner. Lee shot blocked. They have less than a second to go. It's not how tall, it's how long, and Warwick got a piece of that. Thank you for joining me. This is Michael Hunter. This is ACC Basketball Report. I have a special guest for you today. Uh, First-time guest, James Zuba of Nunez Magician. Um, James, I I appreciate you taking the time. This is the second time we're recording the show. Um, As a a first-time appearance, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us a little bit about your site. Yeah, yeah. First, uh, you know, thanks, thanks for having me on. Much appreciated. And yeah, so I'm I'm with News Magician. Uh, we've been around since since 2006. You know, uh, Sean Sean Keeley founded the site uh, back in the mid 2000s, and you know he did a great job getting it off the ground. And you know, a little over 13 years in the running. Uh, Sean has since stepped away, but John Casillo took over as managing editor, and he's done a great job. And you know, the, the focus is Syracuse sports, and obviously, uh, for those familiar with the site, jokes and garbage is, is kind of the mantra. You know, we like to keep it, we like to keep it light, but uh, you know, we do we do some serious coverage as well um, when it comes to football and basketball. We're we're pretty in depth there, and um, you know, we have coverage of just about every game, so that's important. But uh, yeah, as for myself, you know, I joined Nunes in 2015. Um, I'm from Syracuse originally, and I went to Marist. Everybody thinks that, you know, I went to Syracuse, but I actually went to Marist College in Poughkeepsie and, uh, you know, came aboard around the time that I graduated from there and uh, really grew on the basketball beat, and I'm, I'm still doing it. So uh, it's, it's been a fun ride, and I've really found a lot of joy in it. Yeah, one of my, for those of you guys out there that aren't following them, uh, one of my favorite follows for Syracuse basketball, I'm not a huge college football guy, but during basketball season, one of my go-to uh, Twitter handles for sure on uh, on Syracuse sports. Um, before we look at this upcoming season, James, I want to kind of take a look back uh, over the last two seasons, despite having a, a pretty talented roster with guys like Tyus Battle, Frank Howard, O'Shea Brissett. The Orange mm-hmm. are forty-three and twenty-eight overall, just eighteen and eighteen in the ACC. Uh, to what specific, or maybe even multiple, uh, reasons would you uh, attribute this to being? I don't want to say mediocre, but maybe not what they yeah. were. 
Yeah, yeah, I think it's been an interesting, you know, stretch for, for Syracuse basketball specifically in the last, you know, really like five to six years because, you know, you look at a 2013 and the 2016 Final Four, but as you mentioned, you know, the regular season has been a little bit underwhelming. Uh, so for the last two years specifically, you know, looking at the 2017-18 year, uh, Syracuse was, was really undermanned roster-wise. Um, you know, and you look at, uh, you had a player transfer in Torian Thompson. He transferred just prior to the season, mm-hmm. uh, a, a graduate transfer that left the team. And then all of a sudden you got a guy like Howard Washington, who was a freshman that season. He tore his ACL. So Syracuse was really down to, you know, like seven scholarship players that year. And they, they rode that throughout the, the ACC and, you know, barely sneaked into the tournament as an 11 seed. And then they made the Sweet 16, you know, win three games in, in five days. So uh, last year you had everybody back and expectations were very high, just given the Sweet 16 run. And um, you brought in some talented freshmen as well. But, you know, just they, they never really seemed to put the pieces together. Uh, Frank Howard last year, I think that really hurt. He had a, an ankle injury that kept him out for eight weeks and he never really got back to full strength. And you had a couple other guys that I think maybe were looking towards the NBA a little bit. You know, they made some noise the previous year and, and were kind of playing for the NBA. Mm-hmm. And it just it just seemed like they never put the pieces together last year. You know, they had the talent, but, you know, net, it didn't really break their way. And, the, you know, again, they, they got into the NCAA tournament and they lose the first round of Baylor. Would you would you associate any of this um, any of this period, I guess, of, of mediocrity to Mike Hopkins leaving the staff? I think that had something to do with it. Uh, I think, you know, you look back to, to the NCAA violations, I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, you know, certainly you look at Jim Beheim and his, his pending retirement, he was supposed to step away after the 2017-18 year. So it, it kind of gets a little bit confusing to recruits. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who, who am I going to play for? Is it going to be Beheim? Is it going to be Hopkins? And then, you know, lo and behold, Beheim is still here, uh, Hop obviously left and took the Washington job. He's had great success over there. And he, he was the top recruiter for a while. And, and he was really running things in practice. Um, you know, just a guy that, you know, recruits could really relate to, um, you know, younger guy, full of energy, uh, great coach, great with people. So um, it's been a mix of things. I think the, the transition to the ACC, certainly the violations and, and of course, hop leaving. Yeah, I, I think the transition to the ACC has been hard on the Big East programs as a whole. Um, I think some mm-hmm. are performing better than others. Uh, you mentioned the, the NCAA sanctions and the probation stuff. I'm a Georgia Tech fan, a publicly suffering Georgia Tech fan. Um, we were just slammed last week by the NCAA for what I would be I would consider to be a minor infraction um, mm-hmm. when you compare that to some of the stories you hear about what's going on with some other programs, especially some blue blood programs. Right. You guys at Syracuse were hit with a similar heavily handed punishment for the Fab Mello and the YMCA incidences. Mm-hmm. How did those sanctions affect Syracuse basketball and what do Georgia Tech fans have to look forward to? Because they're pretty similar, <laughs> really. They, they are in a degree in that they, they were relatively, you know, I would say comparatively minor, mm-hmm. uh, so, you, you know, infractions. And yet the NCAA kind of dropped the hammer on, on both programs there. And, it, you know, that's a conversation for another day, but the NCAA has been pretty pretty inconsistent in that regard. But, yeah, cer- certainly when you look at Syracuse, I mean, I, I think that, you know, it, it definitely hurt. Uh, hurt in a number of ways you know Syracuse lost uh, three scholarships per year 
So not only do you have less scholarships to work with, but there's also a little bit of a, of a PR issue too. Like, mm -hmm. like how do you convince a, a young kid and their family to come to this program when, you know, uh, there's, there's been this big stain on the program publicly. Uh, so not only that, but then you, you can't really take chances on recruits either. Right. You know, you kind of, you look at Syracuse in the, the years past, they've always had like a junior or senior who stepped up and, you know, worked through a little bit of adversity. Maybe they didn't play in their first or second year, but had a chance to shine as a junior or senior. Well, now all of a sudden you can't really recruit those guys. You know, you kind of have to go for, for the guys that can, can make a, a contribution right away. Um, so, so there's that. And then if you're a Georgia tech fan, you know, certainly, um, you know, people joke about the, the postseason ban is yes, self-included, but you know, you got guys on that team who think they can make the tournament. So, I think so that's going to be, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, you know, there's guys in that locker room that certainly think they have a chance to play in the postseason. So, um, you know, it's a little bit demoralizing. It, it hurts in the short term and it's, it's definitely going to be an adverse impact on the program, but, uh, you know, you work through it and in a few years, you hope you can rise from it. Yeah, I'm seeing I'm, I'm seeing some uh, ACC rankings coming out the last couple of days that are actually dropping G Tech to 15th in the conference, which mm -hmm. is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a top 10, 12 program this year, I believe, in, in the ACC, and I think yeah. it's, it's kind of a cop out. I mean, the I think what's what was ridiculous to me, and I didn't see it until I actually uh, downloaded the document and looked at it, was they're actually banned from the ACC tournament this year as well. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, right. it's absolutely ridiculous, but. Um, right. You mentioned recruiting, uh, and it's actually kind of funny because the first time we recorded the show, I opened up a web browser to see where the recruitment of Andre Jackson was. And the reason <laughs> the reason that we are recording this a second time is because I opened up a website that froze in the background, and there was about 100 audio drops in the original. <laughs> so um, I, just this past week, Andre Jackson actually um, committed to UConn. He's a 6'6", uh, six, six small forward, ranked about the top 70 in the country. Mm -hmm. uh what are your what are your thoughts on on this i guess on this yeah. commitment to yukon and and you know you guys were considered the favorite by i thought a lot of people right um and then you lose him to yukon who's a, a nemesis you know what's uh what's your uh your take right. back from from jackson's commitment right so so it's interesting and i've actually followed dre pretty closely you know i've interviewed him a lot over the past two years and and syracuse was the favorite mm -hmm. up until very recently yeah you, you know uconn kind of got on they've been on him early they were on him since his sophomore year of high school but they really kind of came on late when he took a visit and they really sold the the return to the big east mm -hmm. they really they really sold you know him coming in and playing right away uh, him having the ball in his hands. That's one of the things that was important to him. And they, they sort of negatively recruited Syracuse a little bit as well. Um, you know, they just said it's a different style of ball. You're going to play in the zone. Uh, then they have guys that you might not be able to play right away, which is interesting. Like, what, why would you go to a school that has lesser players just because you could play more right away right uh, <laughs> and go 10 and but, 20 <laughs> right right well but but it worked for for UConn you know they they landed him and mm -hmm. um you know it, it came down to it he he really was torn uh he really did want to you know he was a Syracuse lean all the way he had visited multiple times he'd been on the campus multiple times uh he was at elite camp uh this past summer which not a lot of people knew so it, it really came down to Syracuse and UConn and then UConn kind of swayed him in the the last moments there Moving into this year's team, uh, Tyus Battle, Frank Howard, O'Shea Brissett, they've all moved on. It, it's pretty safe to assume Elijah Hughes is, is the alpha dog for the Orange. Is he up to that role, in your opinion, and who do you think yeah. the secondary scoring options will be on this team? 
Yeah, no, no doubt. I, I think he's up for it. I think he's ready for it. Uh, he really came on the scene last year as primarily a three-point shooter, just mm-hmm. a catch-and-shoot guy, and he, he shot it really well from deep. Uh, you know, I think he shot the best percentage on the team, either he or Buddy. But, uh, yeah, he, he's up for it. Uh, I think he's going to have to do a little bit more. You know, it's, it's a little different when you go from maybe the third or fourth option to the top guy on the scouting report. So he'll have to take it off the bounce a little bit more. He'll have to make a secondary read, you know, finish over the top of guys or make a pass. But uh, he, he could do it. And then as far as, you know, who follows him up there, uh, one one guy to, to keep an eye on is freshman Quincy Garrier, mm-hmm. uh, a kid out of Thetford Mines in Canada. Not a lot of people know about him right now, but he's almost in the mold of an O'Shea Brissett, you know, another Canadian uh, guy that can can do a lot, get to the rim, finish offensive rebound, defensive rebound, and, and play well within the zone. And, you know, look for the guards to make an impact as well. You got Buddy Bayheim and Jalen Carey returning as sophomores, and you also have Joe Girard and Bryson Goodine as freshmen there. Uh, you mentioned Jalen Carey. Um... We, mm-hmm. I didn't intend to talk a whole lot about him, but I am a, I'm a big Jalen Carey guy. Um, I, I, you know, his three point shooting last year was not great. Um, some turnover issues. Didn't get a lot of minutes. Beheim didn't use the bench a whole lot last year. Um, what are your expectations for for Carey specifically? Yeah, Beheim didn't use the bench a lot there. I feel like we could say that every year. <laughs> I think that's, that's an evergreen. Tyus Battle led the NCAA in minutes played like the last two years, something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's funny you mentioned that. So uh, I just spoke with his dad yesterday. Okay. Uh, I'm working on a, a feature with, with, with him and, uh, I spoke with Jalen for a while. So, so I'm high on Jalen as well. You know, he'll, he'll open the year as a starting point guard and he came in as a very, very highly touted freshman, a top 100 recruit, top 50 based on, you know, what recruiting service he used. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really an electric guy, very, very fast, likes to get out on the break, likes to finish. He can find guys in transition. And one thing he's going to have to do is, is run the offense a little bit more this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's going to have to get guys involved. But when you look at who's around him, I think that the, their skill sets complement his weaknesses and that he'll have guys that can space the floor. He'll have guys that can knock down the three. And really, if he can excel in the pick and roll game, I think he should be fine there. Um, any concerns about him defensively? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I think I think he would be a better man-to-man defender. Yes, honestly, yeah. just given that he he can get up in guys' shorts and he could pressure and he's very quick, got quick hands as well. Um, there were times last year that he was out of position in the zone, uh, but you know, Beheim has said he's going to play a little bit of man this year, so we'll see what happens there. But you know, I think the the great thing about freshmen is that they become sophomores, they right. get a year under their belt, and they they know how to how to play defense a little bit. So I, I think he'll be fine. Yeah, as a rule, I, I often say that freshmen don't play defense. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there are you know some outliers there, but for the most part, I think that's one of the biggest parts of growth for freshmen and sophomores and upperclassmen mm-hmm. is, is how well they defend. Um, speaking of the defense. In my opinion, one of the most underrated players in the ACC, you know, maybe throughout his career, was uh, Pascal Chukwu, who anchored that 2-3 zone so effectively mm-hmm. uh, for at least two or three years. Uh, he's graduated, and yep. of, of the returning bigs of uh, Dolajai and uh, Braswell, and I know I'm missing somebody, oh, uh, Baramu Sidibe, yes. as well yes. as Jesse Edwards and uh, John Bolajot coming in. Mm-hmm. You know who do you who do you expect to step up and kind of fill that role, or is it going to be a uh, you know a collective? Yeah, uh, I think I think Barama's ready to take a step forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's going to be a junior this year, and he's never been healthy the first two years of his career. Right. You know he had he had the knee tendonitis, and uh, you know he he admitted as much last year to me immediately. He just said he, he still wasn't one hundred percent 
going into the beginning of last season. So, uh, but he's he's healthy now, and he looked really good over in Italy. And you know, granted, the guys that you're playing over there aren't ACC competition, but he looked mobile. Um, he looked he looked to score the ball. We, we know he's got some offensive skill inside. So I look for him to take a step forward, and then uh, you know, one of the two freshmen should back him up there uh, in either Jesse Edwards or John Bullajack. I think um, I like Edwards a little bit more than a Jack. Um, as somebody who's probably mm-hmm. seen more of him, is that something that you could confirm that maybe he's a little bit further ahead? Uh, it, it depends who you ask. So I, I too am higher on Edwards. Uh, I think he's more skilled. I think he's he's more coordinated inside. Uh, when certainly when you look at him on the the Italy trip, he didn't play with the team prior to prior to that trip. And he still did some things. You could tell he looked a little rusty, a little out of rhythm. But he did some things that were impressive. You know, he like one time I remember he, he got an offensive rebound and held it high. And he mm-hmm. went right back up with it. Um, he's a very athletic kid. You know, he could shoot it a little bit. So uh, I know there are people that, that cover Syracuse that are higher on John Bullajack. They, they think that he'll get that that spot. But um, from, from what I've seen, I, I think Edwards right now would be the favorite to back up Barama at, at the middle. One guy that I do like, and it's, you know, it's just, I haven't actually seen him on the court a whole lot. I think he played, you know, double-digit minutes all of last season. But uh, Robert Braswell is kind of a layup line superstar. <laughs> um, you know, really good athlete, really good dunker, potential on the, on the glass. What are, your, mm-hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on Braswell specifically? So I, I'm high on Braswell as well. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you I'll give you an anecdote. Uh, last year I was at the North Carolina game, and you know Syracuse is just going through warmups. Uh, as you mentioned, he's a warmup line all star. But you know he he caught a weak side lob and he caught it in midair, and then he did a windmill and threw it down. And I was just like, whoa! Like I I hadn't seen him do that. You know, I mean, it was it was impressive. Uh, and he, he did have some good moments last year. You know, he got some surprise minutes at NC state last year and he got three steals right away, right within the zone. Uh, but it is, it is a, a loaded front court this year. When you look at, you know, Hughes and, and Gary are, they're both going to start and they're probably both going to play over 30 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, may, maybe not Quincy, but Elijah certainly is going to get his fair share of minutes. And then Beheim has also said that, that Dolajai is going to exclusively play forward this year. Okay. So if that's the case, that kind of pushes Braswell out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, let's say one of the freshmen, uh, one of the freshman bigs aren't ready. You know, Dolajai could slide to center, and then Braswell could be that third forward. So I think a lot of a lot of his minutes this year are going to be dependent on how ready the freshman big men are, or or if they're not ready. Uh, but certainly, you know, let's say let's say there's some attrition or injuries, then you know he could step in there, and he he might be on the the James Sutherland path a little bit, where you know you don't play that much as a freshman and sophomore, but you're ready to take a step forward as a junior and senior as, as more minutes become available. Yeah, I, I, I think that he has the potential to be a, a big-time star, especially on defense. Um, I'm trying yeah. to think of the player that Syracuse has had the last few years who kind of played a little bit of 3-4, kind of a long athlete. I cannot remember his name. Um, but, you know, ended up, I think he came in uh, highly regarded, but then he became just a kind of an athlete in that zone. And his name escapes me right now, unfortunately. But uh, Braswell kind of strikes me as that guy that go out there and get you like six points and eight rebounds as an upper class, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk. Go back to the zone a little bit. Um, this preseason, we've heard some chatter, and it, it picked up steam for a little bit, and then it kind of faded recently, which <laughs> doesn't really surprise me. Jim Beheim says there's a potential for Syracuse to play some more man-to-man than they're typically used to. Is that just coach speak to throw some people off? Do you see them playing an effective amount of man-to-man, or is that just some token man-to-man here and there? I think the yeah, roster is yeah. built for it. 
Yeah, and I, I would agree. So, you know, like last year, Bayheim uh, around this time, you know, Bayheim said he was going to deepen his rotation and get out on the break, and, <laughs> yeah. and that didn't quite happen last year. Uh, but, but I do think he, he is serious about that, and I do think if there were a roster that, that were built to play man, it would be more of this one. Right. You, you know, like I said, Jalen, he's more of a man defender. I think another guy, uh, Bryson Goodine, he could be really good in man. Uh, I, I don't know that you do you want to play man when you have uh, maybe Buddy or Joe Girard out there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I, but I do think they'll they'll flirt with it a little bit in the preseason, and I do think you know as we get into January and the the meat of ACC play, I think it'll be primarily uh, zone. Uh, I think it will be primarily zone all season, but it's certainly more as we get into ACC, if, if not exclusively zone, by the time we get to ACC play. Yeah, it's like you mentioned, you know, Buddy Beheim in space against a guy like Devin Daniels of NC State or MJ Walker of Florida State would be something that might uh, cause the early retirement for Coach Beheim. I think so. <laughs> That would be uh, less than desirable, I think. Um, yeah. Moving into preseason uh, prognostications, I guess. I'm seeing a few more come out recently. I'm going to put my final top 25 out later today. Um, I saw one yesterday that has Syracuse as high as six. Most selections yep. are in the 8 to 12 range, typically. Mm-hmm. What's your feeling on how the Orange will finish this year, and are they a tournament team? Yeah, it's it's interesting when you look at the conference because I think everybody's in agreement on the top four. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Louisville, Duke, North Carolina, and, and Virginia, and then you look at the meat of uh, the the middle of the league, and and there's really not a lot of separation between maybe the fifth and you know the ninth or tenth team, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a gauntlet in in the midst of that because. In the middle of that, you'll be fighting for an NCAA tournament bid, most likely. So uh, I think Syracuse is right in the thick of that. Um, you know, I realistically would peg them as seventh or eighth in the conference. Uh, I do think they're a little bit underrated nationally. And, and that's that's understandable just because there's nothing that really stands off on paper to them as of yet, and they're a young team. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think they can make the tournament. I, I think that's realistic this year. Um, you know, should I, I don't think they'll compete for, like, a top five or six seed, but mm-hmm. I do think that they'll be competing for a tournament bid, and it's going to be another interesting year in Syracuse for most fans. <laughs> more, uh, more bubble talk, you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> now, all la- the way through. <laughs> last time we spoke, you were you weren't. I, I, I'm not going to say not as high, but was there something that you saw in Italy that kind of made you a little bit more optimistic? Uh, I think it's a team that can come together. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, I mean, everybody knows that Elijah's going to be the alpha there, but I do think it's a more balanced team. Uh, I think it's a deeper team. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's as talented as, as Syracuse has had in recent years or, um, you know, certainly throughout the 2000s. But I do think it's a team that could come together, that, that could have good chemistry and find a way to win with, with multiple guys. I got you. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Beheim, he's, uh, he's now 74 years old. Um, and as far as entertainment-wise, he's still better than most in the country. I mean, I, to watch his press conference to me is hilarious most of the time. Um, how many how many seasons do you think that he has left? Is it just the Buddy Beheim thing, or can he just go until whatever? Uh, the the press conferences are like must see TV. Yes. You know, you, you know, you never know what's going to come out of those pressers. But uh, yeah, he's, he's seventy four. He's going to be seventy five next month. Uh, that'll be the the oldest coach ever in, in Division one basketball history. Wow. So yeah, we're we're getting down to it here. But you know, it's everybody wants to talk about it. How many years does he have left? How, when's he going to retire? Uh, I'll say that. Beheim doesn't strike me as the guy who's just going to walk away on his own his own volition. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people assume that he's going to step away after Buddy's done. 
I, I don't assume that to be the case. Uh, I, I think he's going to want to coach for as long as he can. Uh, I think he's going to he's going to continue to go. He's going to want to continue to go after Buddy. So you, you never know what could happen. Um, sometimes you know Hall of Fame careers, especially as you get up there in age, they end a lot sooner than what we think. Um, but but I don't think he's a guy that's just going to walk away. Uh, you know, he built the program from the ground up. He's been there since he's he's really 18 years old. He hasn't yeah. left campus. You know, he's been there forever. So um, he does not strike me as a guy who's going to want to hang it up in a couple of seasons. When when that init- when it does happen, eventually it's going to happen. Who do you believe the answer is going to be when he when he hangs it up? I mean, the obvious choice is Mike Hopkins, mm-hmm. but Hopkins is is starting to pull some recruits to Washington. Um, mm-hmm. Is Mike Hopkins still a legitimate expectation for fans, or is there somebody else? I I don't know that it's an expectation, but I, I do think there's a lot of hope that he will return mm-hmm. because when you when you look at it, there's no obvious candidate outside of Hop, and I, I do kind of think it's Hop or bust in this case. You know, it's if he wants it, it's Hop all the way. You, you know, Syracuse SUA will, will have to hire him just because he's the best guy for the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly after after Hop, you know, you look at a couple guys on the staff currently: Adrian Autry and Jerry McNamara. They they would probably be the next in line. Um, you know, Adrian also has experience at Virginia Tech prior to Syracuse, so he's been with other programs. He's the top guy right now. Um, but but beyond that, you know, Syracuse, I think they'd like to keep it in the family if they can. But beyond that, and, and I'll, I'll tip my hat to my managing editor, John Casillo here, he brought up the idea that, you know, given given Bayheim and Coach K's relationship, that they might go with a Duke guy. Um, and then you, you never know who could be around in a couple of years, uh, a couple of names that get thrown out now or guys like Billy Donovan or, sure. you know, there are other coaches like that. We don't know where he'll be in, in a few years, but um, certainly if a name like that were around, I think you'd have to have to open it up and take a serious look there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Indiana fans are kind of pining for Billy Donovan right now, which mm-hmm. to me seems a little premature um, yes. on the on the Archie um, you know, bandwagon to have him out of town, but uh, you know, I think Miller is a great coach, and there are probably programs around the country that are hoping they do, you know, turn him loose because they would love to take a shot at Archie Miller while his his stock is you know perceivably low. So sure, sure. Uh, James, I appreciate you taking the time for joining me uh, on a Sunday morning. And uh, if there's anything else you want to talk about, I guess uh, we can go ahead and hit that. If not, I'll let you go. Uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, let's, let's touch on the ACC at large, you know, okay. uh, we can, we can wrap it up one thing. How, how many teams do you think the ACC will get in the tournament this year? Most, most people say eight. I got seven. Seven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I think it's a, I think it's a down year in, in the, uh, in the conference. I, you know, I, I thought G tech could have challenged for one. I'm not sure. Uh, I really like, uh, obviously Duke, Louisville, uh, North Carolina, um, North Carolina state, Virginia, Notre Dame, so I guess yeah, and Florida State would make eight. Florida so yeah, State. yeah, okay. Florida State would make eight. I think Miami has an outside shot if their two freshmen can can kind of live up to the hype. I think okay. Larinag is still a really underrated coach, but yeah. So I would say I would say eight. Um, obviously, Notre Dame is kind of my dark horse there. So yes, people are starting to come around on them a little bit, but I think they're. I've got them solidly, and I think I love their roster makeup. I think people have forgotten what kind of a coach Mike Bray is, but yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess I got eight in you. Okay, yeah, I, I got I got nine. Yeah, uh, I got I got everybody that you mentioned in Syracuse. So okay. I, I think that. I think that Cuse will make the tournament. I really do. I think that their schedule is a little bit favorable for them in both the non-conference. Um, you know, you got no no North Carolina games. You got everybody from North Carolina coming to the Dome this year, including Duke and, mm-hmm. and Carolina themselves on Saturdays. So you get a favorable stretch. 
Uh, I think they'll do just enough to squeak in. It'll be another bubble year, but I think I think they do get in this year. Yeah, I haven't gone over the uh, the the schedule individually, I guess, for everybody quite yet. Um, one thing I always look for is those nasty little Saturday Monday turns or Sunday Tuesday turns that the ACC mm-hmm. likes to sneak in there every now and then. And mm-hmm. GTEC specifically seems to always be on the short end of that. But those are always the ones, and you always seem to catch like a Duke or Virginia or North Carolina on the Monday or Tuesday. Um, yep. And it's just sometimes it's brutal in the ACC, but I think even though it's a down year, I think it'll be a fun year. No doubt, no doubt. You know, definitely a, a lot lost, especially on the underclassmen front. Mm-hmm. But it will be it will be an interesting year throughout the conference and in college basketball at large. One thing I've said with a couple guys is I think the home teams, I think the record for home games in ACC play this year is going to just be just completely out of whack. I think the home team is going to win a huge percentage of the games. Um, yeah. This season, I just you know I th- I like Pittsburgh to protect their home court. Obviously, Syracuse is going to protect theirs. Florida mm-hmm. State has always had an underrated home court. I just I really like home teams this year. You know more than yeah. I would typically. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point too. Just given that you know, like like I said before, there's not a lot of separation in the middle of the pack. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I think that holds water. You, you know that that you can sort of uh, t- turn to the home team a little bit there and, and favor the home team. So yeah, that, that makes sense. Home team matters in college basketball. No doubt. All right, man. I thank you for joining me, and uh, I'll let you get out of here. All right. Thank you, Michael. Looking forward to the pod. All right. So that was James Zuba of Noon's Magician. Uh, I appreciate James taking up the time to uh, to come back on a second time after I had some technical difficulties the first time. I thought the podcast was really worth it. I thought James is an excellent, excellent host. And I think the quality of the host that we're getting here at ACCBR are starting to pick up a little bit, and I'm really loving it because I think we're getting some good stuff. Um Again, check me out on, on Bustin' Brackets. Go to accbasketballreport.com. The boys are working on some stuff, working on some gambling stuff. I know Kinchin is all amped up uh, to do some quick hitters, which I fully endorse. I love quick hitters. I think that it, it can really drive um, a lot of of information. People just don't have a long attention span these days, and if Kinchin's going to throw 300 words at a time with a box score, I fully endorse that. Uh, Charlie's obviously working on metrics and things of that nature, and the chimp is going to be doing some gambling stuff for us, and I'll be I'll be working on the podcast. I'm hopefully going to have these guys on the pod in the coming weeks, and we're going to give you guys a, a good comprehensive preview for this, uh, for this upcoming season. Um... You know, it's going to be a lot of what you've heard me say on Busting Brackets, a little bit of what you heard me say with James today, but I'm going to try to go a little bit more in depth with why I think the way I think with some of these teams specifically. You know, Notre Dame, NC State, um, Virginia is a team that you guys know I'm, I'm fairly low on, but I still think they're going to dance. I mean, I think that's it's you know it's almost a certainty. Tony Bennett is a good enough coach to get this team to the dance. But we're going to talk about it. Uh, again, join me next week, Mike Rutherford, who is – you know he's a great guy um, as far as you know well respected SB Nation among the Louisville Cardinal community the guy is just somebody I'm really looking forward to having again I really appreciate James taking the time to get with me today and uh, you know be on the lookout for some more content now that I'm back from vacation it should start flowing again this has been a great month the month of September was a great month for accbasketballreport.com as well as uh, people following me on Twitter at accbr1 the followers are going up a little bit I think you can tell that people are starting to jones for some college basketball and I like it a lot Thank you for listening to episode number 74. Number 75 will be on its way post-haste. Later.